0: You know, there are times where, like, I'll get high and just play around with, like, you know, synth sounds. And, like, after, like, 20 minutes, I'm like, this actually sounds all right. Like, you know, (laughs) it's not. But, like, you can convince yourself over (laughs) time. Release it. Print it. World
1: tour. Yeah.
2: hello hello and welcome to another episode of 1001 album complaints this is the podcast where a bunch of lifelong friends lifelong musicians lifelong critics uh examine albums from the list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die and give our opinions on whether or not it belongs on the list whether it was a complete and total waste of your time to listen to we're going to save you time hour-long podcast that tells you whether or not you should listen to a 40-minute album. Uh, It is my pleasure to bring to you our list of players and critics for the day. Before we get to that, I just want to make sure if you have not listened to the album this week, we are listening to The Prodigies, The Fat of the Land from 1997. Make a point. If you haven't listened to it, pause it right now. Go listen to this album. So that you can follow along with our conversation as we dive into this "quote unquote" heavy air quotes masterpiece of an album, and t- talk about the ins, the outs, the what have yous. Um. So why should you care what we have to say? Who are we that you should care what we have to say? Well, like I said, we're a bunch of lifelong musicians. My name is Tom. I've been a bass player for about twenty-five years. I love singing backup harmony. I love. Uh, Music in general, I've recorded a bunch of studio albums, I've played a bunch of shows, and uh, I feel like I know a little bit about music. Uh, Let's throw it on over to Rob. Rob, why should people care what you have to say?
1: Sure, my name's Rob, I've played guitar for going on 25 years, I've played in a bunch of bands, played a million shows, recorded a bunch of albums, written a bunch of songs, uh, and listened to records. I have a PhD in listening to records and, and talking crap on them, so... I feel like I know a few things about how this art is done. We'll kick it to Adam next.
3: Hey, I'm Adam. Uh, I'm not qualified for any of this, so it doesn't. My opinion doesn't matter. But I have been playing music for 25 years. Uh, I played music for a living for about 10 years, doing 200 shows a year. So had a lot of fun. Uh, love music, play keys, sing, all kinds of great stuff. Hey, Alan, you're here. How you doing? I'm here. I was hoping you guys
0: could tell me why uh, anyone
2: why should you're listen to what I have to say. <laughs> I know. I personally don't listen to what you have to say,
0: <laughs> My mic might actually be muted, for all I know. That's entirely possible. Um, no, I would say, uh, you know, similar boat, kind of a longtime musician, longtime music lover. Um, been listening to music, you know, since I was very young, unwittingly, um, through just having music in the house a lot. Um, if Rob has a PhD in music, I probably have a, you know, bachelor's from university of the american samoa or, or, <laughs> or thereabouts <laughs> are
3: you a phoenix <laughs> oh, oh come on. So sorry it's hey rough. they might be a sponsor someday. i was gonna That's say not we're not going a sponsor guy. now
0: <laughs>
2: yeah happy to talk about the prodigy so let's get into it we are talking about the prodigy and their 1997 release the fat of the land let's talk about it wow let's get into a little bit of background to the prodigy first, just a super quick uh, tour through the the history of the prodigy leading up to this. So this is something that struck me. Uh, The prodigy is not one dude. The prodigy is several dudes. There is a guy named Liam Howlett. He is uh, basically, he does all of the music that you hear on the prodigy and that is 99% of the sound that comes out of the speakers is just his sort of synth sampling takes, all that good stuff. And by good stuff, I mean, you know, very mediocre stuff. This reminds me of when I, I remember when I was a kid, one of the
1: first sort of successful adult jokes I made was I was looking at the Sunday comics and I was looking, I'd, you know, i been reading them for a while and I was looking at, Blond- I think it was called Blondie, the one where, with Dagwood and he makes the yeah, sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. And there's two authors on that. I just remember turning to my mom going like, they they need two people to write this crap? Yes,
2: 100%. (laughs) Zing! So I I think it should be said that the Prodigy, uh, if you look back to their sort of origins, they are kind of supposed to be a multimedia experience and not necessarily just a band. Because Liam Howlett um, basically got his start. He was talking to um uh Leroy Thornhill and uh Maxim and Keith Flint and sort of like hey this is what I got going on they're like that's pretty cool why don't you make us a tape and so he made them a tape uh like a literal cassette tape and he wrote Prodigy on it the reason he wrote Prodigy on it is because he was using a Moog Prodigy at the time uh you know it's a synthesizer and you know this is like all synthesizer music it's very heavily influenced by synthesizer but then keith flint and uh this guy leroy thornhill were like oh that's super cool we're gonna make a bunch of dance routines to go along with this music and that was the genesis of the band the genesis of the band was a guy who makes a bunch of synth music and two dancers and they're like (laughs) this is it this is the hit
1: right here let's have two dancers to run with this I, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's not that common where if I just imagine if I was transported to this initial band meeting that you just described where they outlined the premise of the band that one guy was going to make beats and two other guys were going to make dance routines it's not often that if I was transported there I would know immediately that I didn't like the band <laughs> yes obvious to me
2: <laughs> I mean is I actually how a...
3: Guar started I think as well <laughs>
2: how dare you yeah come on guar did if guar is in the same category as this guar is the nba and this is like a pee wee basketball right. league <laughs> um so at when they originally formed there were actually even more people in the band because it was um maxim on vocals he was an mc and vocals keith flint on vocals and dancing Leroy Thornhill on dancing <laughs> oh, I mean, and terrifying, terrifying teenagers and MTV videos. <laughs> yeah.
1: Suburban and moms
2: then, all across the land. <laughs> some woman called Sharky, who was also a dancer and vocalist. And I think it is important that for at least two of these people, dancer is listed first before <laughs> vocalist. That was their, that was their marquee contribution. We're a dancer. They saw what the Mighty Mighty
1: Bostones were doing, and they're like,
2: we could expand on this. I <laughs> would just need a trombone. That, that guy apparently like, actually wrote the horn parts for the Mighty Mighty Bostones and did that like, sort of lame dancing in the video. But speaking of lame dancing in a video, all right, why is The Prodigies, The Fat of the Land, a famous album? Why is it on the list? Please tell me. I don't know me. why it's on the list, but <laughs> their big hit was the song Fire Starter. I don't know if you guys have watched the music video for the song Firestarter. First of all, the song itself is, I mean, it's just it's lame. Um, you know, that's another way I can put it. It's lame. Let's listen to about 25 seconds of Firestarter right now and think about this as being the marquee song in this album. I'm a fire starter. Fire starter. all right so that is fire started big hit off of the prodigies the fat of the land
1: just so we're clear it's like a five minute song but that 30 second or so snippet covered everything that was right. song. you got you got it all you got, it you all. You got.
0: <laughs> i feel like that riff that gets like played at you know hockey games to like rile up the crowd and that's kind of like the song really that's their that's their pocket
3: is hockey games and pumping up crowds i think that i have a, a uh i
2: have a note on uh one of the songs but i feel like it fits for every other song which is um it sounds like uh a fight scene in a jason statham movie just started and <laughs> yes! this is the music i have written it. down
3: uh every resident evil movie has a fight scene with at least one of these songs in
1: it a hundred percent that's actually you kind of you could you codified or you solidified something that that makes it make a lot more sense to me just just that one little puzzle but yeah if i had been watching
2: people get their ass kicked it would have been way more (laughs) palatable. yeah yeah so maybe this multimedia thing has some legs (laughs) well so no but instead of watching people get their ass kicked you have uh (laughs) keith flint Uh, So Keith Flint, I should mention, is the guy with the crazy hair and the the nose ring and the crazy guy. Watch the video. Listeners out there, go watch the music video for Firestarter. And watch this and then in your head think, this guy came to this project as a dancer. It is not <laughs> dancing. It is just a dude just kind of doing like i um, like seizure movements. It's so it kind outrageous. of reminds me of like Flea on some sort
0: of like hardcore stimulant. Yes, I don't know, that was my like but, vibe. I was like, is this Flea?
2: Flea would also be playing a sick bass line at the time and not just doing like
0: something worthwhile. Yeah, <laughs> but he I could just understand. dance if
2: that was the role that was assigned to him I would imagine. he could yeah flea could do it just as well as this guy and all right so that video has it has leroy thornhill it has maxim it has um and also liam howlett who is like the main guy and the thing that i find to be hilarious is like liam howlett is just, like, standing there watching all these guys freak out in this, like, abandoned sewer tube or something like that. It's just, he's just kind of standing there like, oh, yeah, it's good dancing. He's like,
1: I've already done the work here. Like, the songs are written, you just dance, and I'll judge you. I wonder if that was, like, akin to their live show because maybe he found the secret as a DJ. Because, you know, DJs are always trying to dance a little bit, but they can't dance too much, but it's kind of lame. He's like, I'll just get to it. I'll stand still. I'll just focus on the records and i'll pay these other guys
2: so this is not a conversation we've had before but like i would love to be a fly on the wall when they're having the royalty conversation the conversation (laughs) around like what's your cut leroy thornhill the guy who's strictly a dancer and plays live keyboard sometimes for this band like is he making 25 percent of the royalties on this I mean, there, that discussion had to come up at some point. And like, well, I do the contributions think the are so lopsided.
0: I do think the Devil Horn guy, Keith Flint, did has some co-writing credits at least on like some of the bigger bigger hits. You know, uh, for his lyrics. I don't know what you know. I, song song it's for the lyrics. He doesn't.
2: Yeah.
0: It's a loose term, I guess. <laughs> with uh, when it comes to this stuff,
1: I will su- uh, go ahead, Rob. Sorry. <laughs> oh. I was just gonna. What's which which guy rhymed uh, psychosomatic with addict? guy? How much yeah. money did he
2: get? That was, that was Maxim, Maxim, wasn't it? Yeah, Maxim. No, I, said, yeah. I I also thought about Maxim and like, um, if you were to like do a like all time chart of like the least amount of contribution to the most amount of money made off of it, like he he didn't even write a bunch of lines. He wrote like four lines. <laughs> Isn't that what they call in uh, the Bay Area scale? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. honestly, the fact that like Liam Hallett might just be the nicest guy in the world, because I feel like he shared writing credits on a lot of these songs with these other two absolute jokers that could have not been on the track at all, and you wouldn't have missed it. The one thing that I will say is that this is very of an era, right? This is 1997. Oh, totally. This is late yeah. 90s, peak MTV, right? MTV is like a dominant force in music consumption. And when you see a dude with the crazy hair and you see Maxim, he's got the weird tattoos and the crazy like um, uh, contacts in his eyes that make him look all white. That's the thing that I actually remember. I don't remember any of the doop 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 doop, yeah. doop 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 doop.
1: I think the haircut is the most interesting thing about the band, in all seriousness. Yeah, serious sense. yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we should probably describe in case you don't know who this guy is. He's he's got a reverse mohawk, and then he's dyed each side of his hair different colors, and then turned it into like devil horns, basically, right? Yeah, and he's just like spazzing out. Kind of a Bozo
2: the Clown situation. right? Totally. <laughs> like I said, maybe secretly he was just going bald and he figured out the best way to, to rock a bald hairstyle. That well, apparently thing.
0: he had long hair. I guess they were like sort of punk-ish that like hardcore punk and were, were veering into that, you know, hybrid of faux Rage Against the Machine, you know. I think I've actually seen that they've been and I didn't realize that this at the time that they have caught some blame for being responsible for like the Limp biscuit uh era of things or at least sort of being like a catalyst or a fire starter if you will
2: for that uh... (laughs)
0: well played genre
2: yeah they're self-described electronic punk um and uh you know they are they're thought of as like pioneers um in uh this this genre called big beat which is sort of like uh you know the chemical brothers and like fat Boy slim or like big beat again other artists that i also think suck but um there is just a uh, i don't know they, they i feel like every single time that any one of them opens their mouth i'm like you were just trying so hard <laughs> to tell me how hard and cool you are and i don't right. buy a second of it i don't buy it for a second so totally that's a level set on the prodigies, the fat of the land we've gone into it a little bit. I'm going to guess I already know the answer to some of these questions, but like Rob, what did you think of this album? Yeah, it's
1: this is pretty painful for me. I think like you said, I actually had to kind of check my side. So I don't like dance. I'm not a dance music fan or an electronic music fan in general. So I admit I'm uninformed about such things. But even when I tried to level set myself by going and listening to some of the Fatboy Slim tracks or The Crystal Method or Chemical Brothers, or I, I mean, guys, I hate to admit it, but I even ventured into Chesto territory on my Spotify playlist just to try to understand. They all had a lot more pop sensibility than this. They all sounded a lot cleaner than this. Like the low fineness, which I guess is what the Prodigy's going for, really bothers me. This everything is distorted, the drums are distorted, nothing sounds clean. And then as you alluded to Tom this this kind of I'm trying to freak you out squares kind of late 90s thing <laughs> yeah. whatever so, it is. So ineffective. Yeah, it, it's so teenage immature. It, it reminds me of um like, it's like AJ from The Sopranos level, like angst, you know? It's just, I can't I can't imagine everything, at no time in my life did I ever think this kind of posturing was was cool. This kind of uh, wimpy nihilism, whatever you want to call it, is bad. <laughs> just to clarify.
2: Adam, what did you think about this album?
1: So, uh,
3: for those of you who don't remember, we reviewed uh, a couple weeks ago an album by a guy named uh, Devendra Bonhart. And the, uh, Rob had made a comment that it sounds like he had the ideas for a bunch of songs, and then like they just stopped. So he's like, I love you, and you're wonderful, and I... And it would just stop, right? And be like, oh, it's only you know a portion of a song. This album is like they had that 10 seconds, and then just looped it for five and a half minutes. They had one small, not even a good idea, one small idea, and then it went on for between four to six minutes every track. Uh, so it was a, it was a bit of a rough listen for me as well
0: yeah um. yeah so I uh I really try I didn't want to come and just like shit on the album because I I'm sort of like with you Rob where like I I don't consider myself an expert in this genre or necessarily you know ha- like I I'm lacking the full context of kind of what came before this record and 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 where it stands in, in terms of like being a pioneer. The only thing I remember is uh, I watched so much MTV growing up and I remember this just being like all over MTV and I tried so hard to like it because I kept thinking, hey, they're just playing this over and over again. And like, I feel like even with bad pop music or bad, you know, sort of top 40 country or, you know, some of the genres that are just kind of, you know, a little bit lame, in my opinion, I can usually find some kind of redeeming quality of like, oh yeah, I can, I get it. Like I get why large amounts of people like this, but no matter how many times I listen to it or, or how many times I try to convince myself that like, yeah, this isn't so bad. It, it, it just never, it just never got me, honestly. Um, you know, but I also feel like it's sort of hard to evaluate because I'm not sure that this type of music at the time was really meant for being in like album format. Like this, this kind of music was was like rave music. And, you know, this was, this was straight up like ecstasy, Molly type of music that was not meant in, you know, in my opinion to be sort of chunked into these like four or five minute, like rock format songs. I think the reason songs like breathe and firestar actually had some commercial success is because, they figured out a way to like package it so that like, it did have a little bit of a rock format, but, but all in all, like, I, I just don't know that this music in my opinion, like lends itself to like an album type of format, honestly.
3: I just want to throw some, throw, throw something else in there real quick too. So last week we reviewed the uh, Beastie Boys uh, Pulse Boutique, right. Which is chock full of samples uh, and really well chosen, well placed, uh, engaging samples, and and they they use those samples to construct really compelling songs. This album is also mostly samples with some synths thrown, thrown in there, and it just it it's a it's an example of how you could go all samples and just do it poorly. So it's it's an interesting to have last week be the super success of samples and this week fall so flat on its face, in my opinion, again, not trying to crap on it. It just, it doesn't seem to work when I went and looked up a lot of these different samples that they had used.
2: Well, listen, I I would 100% agree with you on that, Adam. I feel like even if you just look at the list of songs that were sampled for this album, the average song has like four or five samples in it that are just repeated ad nauseum. And for Paul's Boutique, it's like 20 songs per, like per song. Like there's 20 samples per song, and they really mix them in a way that they're not beating them to death. Most of the best samples from right. Paul's Boutique, you hit them once and you're done. Mm-hmm. And this was like, hey, you know that sample? How about hearing that for six minutes? Hey, <laughs> you want to hear that again? Cue it up. And like, like no album has ever been more buoyed by the rise of ecstasy in popular culture than this album has like that. Well, I feel like that was so much of the reason why this stuff got popular is because that's when like ecstasy was getting popular. And that's when, um, you know, that club scene was really taking off. And I was trying to put myself in, in the context of the time and like, why would this faux hardness come off as being somewhat authentic and The I think a big part of the reason was that like the um, raves were like seen as a dangerous thing at the time, and like they were passing laws in the UK to like outlaw raves because they were seen as these like drug fueled orgies and whatnot. (laughs) So like they were like the orgy part, (laughs) exactly right. (laughs) um and Long i'm sure waves. that that was like i'm sure that never actually happened it wasn't actually like an actual drug-fueled orgy but that was sort of like what the you know the the, the almost like the reefer madness panic well, about them was that like this
1: is happening in these clubs and
2: it's crazy
1: well i don't know if it was quite akin to reefer madness but I, I know what you mean i mean i think it was popular with young people probably underage people and i think a lot of these parties or these raves were happening in not tr- traditional clubs, right? Like, yeah, unregulated environments. Unregulated environments, right? So I'm sure. So yeah, and I think that was part of it. And I also read that this was, to, to kind of Alan's point, that this was the packaging that finally reached into the US and sort of sparked some sense of rave culture. Like, it was a big thing in the UK for a while, and even the Prodigy had had some success in the UK before this, but they hadn't been able to export it yet. And so this was yeah. their way of exporting it. One thing I'm curious about, though, Based on what Alan said, I mean, I'm I'm kind of just wondering if 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 we go on the premise that this isn't really meant to be a album listen of five minute packaged songs, like would someone who really loved the rave scene would they sort of agree that this is this is a bastardization of what they liked? Or and sub question, do we know anything about the Prodigy's live shows? Were they more like that rave situation, or were they more like a band playing through songs?
2: they're playing for hours like it's you know they're it's not like i'm gonna get up and I'm gonna play 40 minutes they're gonna play the length of time that like you would almost like you would see fish play where they're gonna play for three hours and you know, like we're like the people that are playing tonight um
0: well they're probably also weaving songs in and out i mean there's there's probably much a, a much different like show kind of aesthetic to that um and i don't, don't know, forget that
2: don't forget the dance routines alan because there's got to be <laughs>
0: dance routines going routines on. Is used it's hard to dance here. for that many hours. <laughs> oh, thank you. Not
2: if you're on age. shit drugs. drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to go back to the comment that you made before about how um, you feel like this was influencing, uh, this, this like influenced um, Limp Biscuit. I actually found that this, I, I find this to be more to blame for like insane clown posse. Like, that's the line that I see. It's not Limp Biscuit. It's insane clown posse of like, you know, super lame, kind of like, kind of punky, but like, you know, weird makeup and affectation. I'm trying to freak out squares. So wait, you mean
3: to tell, I shouldn't have gotten this ICP tattoo here on my (laughs) Big
1: revelations here.
2: (laughs) You're a juggalo? Oh, no. I knew it. (laughs) You got your time. Faygo in a cup over there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think influence, I don't know if I said influence or more like, uh, like primed the masses for this weird hybrid of like sort of hip hop, sort of like rage against the machine ish, like yeah. riffs, um, and edgy punk. You know, this like rage had been, been out for a long
2: time at this point. Like, rage. Yeah. yeah. Well, as yeah. one element, as one element, not yeah. like
0: as, as, I don't think they sound like Rage, but I mean, they're they're clearly, you know, borrowing from that school of like, you know, hard riffs mixed with like hip hop backbeats and, you know, trying to like fuse that together. I don't think they're in the same category as Rage, but I I kind of wonder if they like, you know, primed the U.S. audience for that kind of
1: schlock. One of the things I read that resonated with me that I hadn't thought about before that connects Rage Against the Machine and Limp Bizkit, and The Prodigy, and maybe The Matrix, and things like that, is that they were of their era, meaning that there was this kind of end of the world, the apocalyptic feeling as, this, as 2000 was coming, right? And so it did lead to this trend of, like, harder, scarier, more intense stuff.
0: And also the, the like, fuck the system vibes and all that with, you know, you mentioned, like, the crackdown on the raves. Like, I, I definitely think there was that, like, punk rock kind of element to you know, to to their, like, affect?
2: No, absolutely. I I think that uh, they're very clearly going for a highly stylized product. Um, And that product, talking about the masses, was extraordinarily (laughs) well-received. Extraordinarily well-received. So this album came out June 30th, 1997. And at the time, number one single... In the U.S. We we talk about this. What was the landscape like? Let's talk about the landscape that this album dropped into. The number one single in the U.S. in 1997 was I'll Be Missing You by Puff Daddy and Faith Evans. Mm. Again, just a completely creatively bankrupt sample. Please. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Puff Daddy doesn't actually get a writing credit
2: on that, does he? I mean, Sample's being very <laughs> generous here. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, they just stole that song. That was, I mean, and that song is garbage. That song is, and listen, I, and this is a very ungenerous thing to say about Puff Daddy, but like the best thing that ever happened to that man's career was Biggie getting shot, right? Like he would have been a complete afterthought for everything. All that he ever did was like, Biggie would do something amazing. He'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, we ain't stopping, yeah, like, that's Puck Daddy's creative contribution to the zeitgeist, and somehow he's like a billionaire now. And he, whatever, Puck Daddy sucks. Faith Evans. Well, it, 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 it is
0: hard to know what's going on, like what the contributions are behind the scenes. But yes, I agree that the uh,
2: the outward facing uh, product. Were, Listen, even was even not, if he was, that was that doing, strong. even if he was doing a ton of stuff behind the scenes, like getting, like you know, being like the manager and getting that'd be like that'd be like Quincy Jones on like you know a jackson five album just being like no no you got to put me in there being like yeah all right yeah like it's it's not additive in any way shape or form he's just trying to be like he's like a fame whore (laughs) anyway Puff daddy sucks (laughs) moving on though let's let's bring it back we're gonna bring it back to last week number one song in the uk when this album was released take a guess it's a, it's a banger. Spice Girls. It's Hanson's Oombop. Um, bop. Whoa, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been the wicka, wicka, wicka?
3: No way.
2: I think, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I have a full circle. Full circle. Oom um, Bop. The dupe a dupe at Bop. <laughs> all right. So, but, all right. So this album was released June 30th, 1997. In less than a month, it was the number one album in the U.S., number one album in the U.K., Number one album in the two biggest music consumption markets in the world at the time in less than a month. And in less than six months, this album went double platinum. Ooh. Double platinum. What's that mean again? It means they Tell sold me. two million copies wow. within the first six months. Again, this is Oof. where the royalty conversation really comes into play.
1: Okay. But like, <laughs> now that we're talking about it, I have to say we've been dissing he flint the fire starter but he definitely is responsible i mean that's why they sold 2 million copies it's that image right it's the haircut 100%. it's the video it is the image yeah it wouldn't have happened without that
0: well and again like who who knows to what extent like he actually contributed songwriting you know that means a lot of things it could be he wrote a few riffs it could mean he wrote the four lyrics it could mean yeah who knows what like <laughs> the four <laughs> lyrics i think he wrote the four lyrics but
2: <laughs> that's Hey, that neither here nor there because again it is a total package you cannot separate the music from the music video from the- well I think it
0: also there was you know I I, I, I don't know if this was like 97 98 in, in that kind of realm but like I remember at the time when this came on MTV it seemed like the whole like grunge was really like dying a slow death at that point and it seemed like there was a little bit of a vacuum for that like you know edgy sort of you know music and i and i wonder if it was how much of it was very much just like a time and place you know kind of thing how can we sell more
2: clothes to kids (laughs) well they were they were up against so in 1998 it was nominated for alternative album of the year um and it lost to radiohead's okay computer which peaked at 26 on the u.s charts at least, at least there's some justice in the world so i mean but like the fact that like it outsold okay computer by a lot oh is kind of insane to me i mean again just talk about like you want to talk about a soundscape like okay computer is a beautifully produced album it's so amazing and organically produced as well like it's it just it's it's night and day and i i i i, I when i read that i lost
1: hope they're both kind of they're both nihilistic though i mean it fits the theme of that 90s kind
2: of vibe right everything's over yeah well i was also you know at the time a 16 year old who was just like everything sucks and this is bullshit yeah. <laughs> yeah it didn't mean that anybody should have paid attention to what i said in fact you would have been well served by just disregarding <laughs> everywhere they came you know white now kid in america sucks <laughs> yeah <hate> seriously <laughs> yeah My parents are going to pay for most of my college. What the hell guys? Come on. (laughs) Uh, So listen, I don't have any recording session info on this. It's like, if this just wasn't recorded in Keith Howlett's like house, I don't even understand what they were spending money on. I like, there's no universe where like they need to go into some kind of hit factory to make this happen. Production is needed. Um, let's get into it let's talk about some songs let's let's really dissect each mm. one of these soundscape oh, masterpieces yeah. that we have on the table here we're going to start Sonic alchemy on the way <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start with the first song on the album the controversial smack my bitch
1: that they found a line that supports domestic violence and heroin at the same time (laughs) well
2: but this song well they did have crossover appeal so (laughs) i think that's uh well this song speaks to like the the general organizing principle of the band is that you can listen to the song absent the video but like it's really kind of meant to go with this sort of multimedia experience of the video I don't know if you guys have watched the video for Smack My Bitch up recently. Disorienting. It's not only is it disorienting, but like it's pretty raw. Like there is, it's like a point of view of somebody having a debaucherous night where they're just drinking and doing drugs and going to clubs. And then they like go home with a girl. And there's like a pretty intense sex scene where there's like lots of boobs and like vagina it's like there is nakedness in abundance towards the end of it but then at the end you think it's a misogynistic song about a guy who's hitting his woman and at the very end they show you the point of view you've been seeing the entire time is a woman mind blown commentary wow commentary that's amazing
1: i turned it off when he threw up in the video i found that to be a little too disturbing for me oh my god i gotta go and watch
3: actually i'm not gonna watch this
1: wasn't (laughs) that video like banned from
2: mtv well i'm sure well and didn't i read banned from mtv but they had like uh they would only show it late at night because i remember watching this video on mtv and I think it was like Kurt Loder back in the oh TV God. days gave like a disclaimer at the beginning where they're like, hey, listen, this video is pretty intense, but we think it says like an important message. And so we want you guys to say it type of thing. <laughs> or basically <laughs> It's just basically it was just so controversial. They knew people were going to watch it. So they were like, all right, well, we, we can't just like not have this video on our network. Uh, yeah, pretty insane.
1: Getting banned on MTV was a good thing for most, you know, that was a, that was like a badge of, not, not even just a badge of honor, that was like a marketing tool.
2: Especially for a band like this. Well,
0: apparently they were like touring with the Beastie Boys around that time, and I, I'm sure, you know, you, you guys probably came across this in like research, but like, apparently they were touring and the Beastie Boys asked them not to play this because that was around when they were becoming like, I guess like woke, you know, in today's terms, but like, right. They are becoming a little bit more kind of sensitive to, to that stuff. And, um, you know, of course, I'll give Prodigy credit. They were like, fuck you, we're still playing it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, Alan, the disrespect in women has got to reduce, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, the BC Boys were 100% in the wrong on that. Like, you like, totally. oh, this is insensitive to the victims of domestic violence. And it's like, maybe, but like, you can't just tell another band, like, hey, don't play that song. That's not cool, man.
0: Meanwhile, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair so I can climb up and get into your underwear.
2: (laughs) (laughs) As we as the aforementioned, uh, you know, she woke up in the morning and her face was coated line. It's like, don't tell me you're woke all of a sudden. I realized that was like, you know, 12 years before this or whatever. People can
1: change, guys. Change. Change is possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about how
3: this song is five minutes and 40 seconds long? how
1: much how much of that is the weird female oh eastern eastern singing thing
2: that's my favorite part of the song i think that actually gives it some kind of atmosphere and that made me feel like um so i my experience of listening to this song um i literally the first time that i listened to it i you know guys i'm on the east coast for the summer and i'd flown into washington dc to visit my sister i didn't sleep at all the first night that i got in i was sleeping on Like we gave our kids the bed in the hotel room. So my wife and I were sleeping on like the sofa couch. I could not sleep the entire night. And so it's like five 30 in the morning. And I'm like, I'm just going to go get breakfast for everybody. And I popped my headphones on and I'm listening to this song. It's like, the sun's just coming up and I'm like walking through a city that I don't know. It's like nice and hot. And like, it was, it was cool. It was like, I was like, Oh, this is, I'm like, I got a pace going. I'm walking. I'm like, you know, trying to find my way through this city that was like a very good environment to listen to the song and if I was like sitting in my study with a sniffer of brandy like right. oh I'm gonna put on not- bitch up. let's see how that goes um absolutely wrong environment to listen to it in but like I actually found that to be cool and I feel like the sort of kinetic aspect of this music came through in that sense where I was just like walking through a city I'm like yeah this feels really good. I will say I listened to most of the other songs of the album on that same walk and none of them felt nearly as good maybe it's just something about this song but I, I thought that was good
0: well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually felt and with that song in particular and there was a couple other ones but like in yeah like musically speaking I think a few of the things they did well was a few songs had like a feeling of tension and release where it was like I think a lot of this music can kind of, especially when you look at it in the context of like, hey, here's, this is meant to be sort of like three hour, four hour, like rave, like. But I do think some of these songs had, you know, some peaks and valleys, tension and release. And I think that that really long, sort of kind of ludicrously long, you know, female vocal interlude, whatever you want to call that. It was definitely like comically long. Um, (laughs) But I do think those, those were... I think moments of like, okay, there's like variety somewhere, you know, they're mode shifting a little bit, and I think that was in short supply, but when it did happen, I at least felt like this feels like music to me.
2: I will say, an an interlude like that, I'm not exactly to get back to the rest of the song so i kind of appreciate the long interlude i'm like let's keep going i don't know if i can handle it Was but don't bring nah, it bah, back bah, nah, 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 nah. Yeah.
1: It, it makes sense to me that it's not sitting down music for sure and i know that's not how it was designed so that's that seems like a totally fair point to make i can't i couldn't get over the fact yeah to your point of wanting the beat to come back in though the low fidelity distorted drums like it just was never satisfying nothing about the main line of the beat was ever t- terribly satisfying it reminded me the the actually the drum sound reminded me tom of when when you had your first drum kit that that burnout left in my garage Yeah. yeah. and it just sound it sounded like you were banging on trash can lids and this, <laughs> and this was not considered a good thing at the time
2: well yeah i mean uh I will say this: I'm not a fan of like dubstep and like the modern like hyper electronic music that goes on now. But I, I will say, they at least have satisfying beat drops, and like I can see the I can see it pointing in that direction, of like what you need to do is have like a, like you said, Alan, tension and release. You need to have like a build up, a build up, a build up. Where's it going to go? And then it drops, and you get that like oftentimes it is like, a, you know, you gotta you got a beat going. And then you maybe um you Into don't necessarily go directly to double time <laughs> before <laughs> for the build up, but like eventually you get to double time and then you drop to half time.
3: And that's right. sort
2: of like you're like bop bah. Yeah. And like that feels cool. This is like I get I can see how other artists would hear this and be like, I can improve upon this. I
1: can make this <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense.
2: Anybody else have any parting thoughts on uh, on smack my bitch up?
3: Well, in, in addition to everything being sampled, uh, the only seven or eight words in the song are actually from another song. I was seeing on the uh, the uh, the samples that were covered, so even the 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 couple of lyrics were not there. So it's like, you know, well, it's and just...
2: Adam. I think that this touches on what classify what is classified as a sample because that was that was cool keith they clearly did not just take cool that's Keith's right they lyrics. just took his they took the words
3: right right they didn't re-recorded actually recorded them yeah yeah so that's oh, just realize... Realize
2: That's de- <laughs> it's definitely not like a um it's not a direct sample of cool keith right. i listened yeah. to that song um uh Good lord, who was that? Uh, who did that? Um, Ultra Magnetic MCs. I listened to that song "Give the Drummer Some," and that's not unless they affected it beyond recognition. No, because
3: it it has that guy's annoying accent.
2: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> unless they unless it was like the English accent, right? Gets <laughs> pushed on their like Mo Prodigy.
1: Cool, Keith. Well, cool Keith is already a cool rap name, I think. Not that I know too much about him, but his my one of my favorite rap aliases of all time belongs to him, which is Doctor Octagon.
2: Oh yeah, no Cool Keith is that's pretty cool. Uh, he is the man. That now it's like of an era. It's like late '80s, early '90s stuff. But like, he is he's a good rapper. He's one of those guys who we talked about this with the LL Cool J style stuff, where it's like you have like lyrical artists who are actually like putting together complex lines with like intra line rhyming and all that stuff. He was one of those guys. And he could like he could actually really rhyme and the only thing that separates him from like uh, you know like an MF doom or something like that was really just like production style and choices where like uh, MF doom's complexity in the lines were like much greater but cool. Keith had that ability and I feel like he would have you know he was going in that direction very heavily. and so um, super cool. They took maybe like, I mean, I can't even, I can't even say, I don't know enough about Cool Keith to say if those are like the two, like most misogynistic lines that he put out there. Um, But uh, yeah, they took that and they made an entire song out of it. And I, they did not improve on that at (laughs) all by making it into like a five minute song. But the video again, it's pretty raw. Like I was watching the video on my phone. So I had, I'd forgotten like what the video was like. And I was like, literally like watching the video on my, on the phone and my kids were around at some point. It's like, Whoa, whoa, I got to walk into the room. Okay. Oh man. All right. There is a lot of nakedness going on in this. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about I think probably the second biggest track on this. It might even have been the first biggest track because it's certainly a huge uh, single. Is the that song "Breathe"? Um, let's let's throw it out there. Let's get some. Initial
0: Just didn't. Catch, I don't. I don't remember which video was released first, whether if it was Firestarter or Breathe, but to, this was the one I always kind of like associated with a band in high school, and this was like the one song where I really tried hard to like. I do think that this it, <laughs> it resembles a a song more so than anything else on the album, um, and, and I think this actually like to me this actually felt like if I can say there, it's the best song on the album. It, it actually has sort of like a beginning, a middle and an end. It has some pacing. It's somewhat memorable. Um, I think it, you know, this is the kind of song where I feel like it's sort of stuck in my head for a while. And, um, it, it still didn't convince me that like they should have sold as many albums as they did, but, um, but yeah, I, I think this was actually like one of the the only like decent songs on the album. What what you think, Adam?
3: I yeah, it 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 was a good tune. It's the one I remember from high school, specifically because of a of a great experience. Uh, we knew a guy in high school who used to fix cars and do like audio systems, and I remember I went over to his house because he had bought this like I don't know seventy two Cadillac, and he had put like a thousand watt speaker or, or a thousand watt amp and like a 2000 watt subwoofer and so we get into the car this is like the 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 first time he's gonna turn the stereo on and he puts this song on and so it starts out and we're both like looking at each other like this is badass and the bass kicks in and all of the speakers explode <laughs> like it's just <laughs> and i remember sitting in the car And if you've ever been around just a subwoofer with no other speakers, it's just like this. Like, it's just noise.
2: You get like the heart palpitations from it. He had all the
3: four really expensive speakers, and they all blew up except for the sub, which I think Tom actually wound up buying as part of his high school bass
2: rig. I turned that into a bass rig. I remember I used a, uh, a cap. From a Sierra Nevada <laughs> bottle, had to to make the input jack, like I like hot glued yep. it, and I put like the nuts on either side, and the and the, and the input jack there. And uh, remember, we used to play at Mike D's house with that. And oh my uh, God, well, when, when we would play live, I would put that like facing. <laughs> onto the floor so that like the because we also had like I had like another speaker. I had like a 10-inch but we didn't have a a crossover. Yeah was a 15 I think I may have actually like
0: torn that speaker once playing it inappropriately, which I can still uh I'm in a better position now to like recompense you for that.
2: Uh by the way, that would be Adam's dad that you would have won that one because that was definitely borrowed from Adam's dad.
0: Was it the PV?
3: The 15-inch PV? I had
2: the PV head. But it was a oh, 15 okay. inch sun speaker with a oh horn, my God, and yes. uh, then and then like it was a, it was an Orion. because it was mm. I remember it was like an 800 watt like, <laughs> something obscene like that. Like why would you ever need an 800 watt speaker system? But I would put it facing down on the floor. You so played with Mike D, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Del- just 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 as a complete Mike D aside, I remember this was like a hilarious. We were in college, the University of Delaware, and we're like walking past the deer park. And I was walking past the deer park with Phil, and a a band was playing. And Phil was just like, that's Mike D on drums. I can tell. I can hear that snare drum. That snare drum is so loud. I can hear it. Because Mike D's snare drum just sounded like a shotgun blast every time. And we went up, and sure enough, it was like one of the first gigs Mike had ever played with corduroy. And like he was playing the drums. We're just like, "Yeah, that's Mike D. That's... And like when you walked into the room, it was like, bah, 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 crack, 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 And he was like, whoa, oh my God. And he was like shattering sticks. He was just like, go through so many sticks over the course of a set. He like, he'd be like, playing. He'd pieces of stairs. sawdust everywhere
3: (laughs) so that's what i thought of breathe
2: (laughs) okay rob what'd you think of breathe
1: yeah it was a yeah it was a slightly better song than i i think i liked it the best or at least it got stuck in my head the most the the thing that um it 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 does feel like the epitome of uh what are you are you trying to scare me like are you like a scary teenager am i supposed to be scared you know, you're going through your anarchy phase. Like, is that supposed to be, you know, get safety pins in your jeans or something? Um, but, you know, what my favorite part was that, that always makes me chuckle, and it reminds me of a Hall & Oates song, is the reading of the psychosomatic addict insane line where he varies up the rhythm on the second read through, which is,
2: which is very simple. Psycho- so-
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got to change it up, right? And uh, Hall & Oates does the same thing, and I can't go for that. No can do.
2: No can do (laughs) It's the
1: first time he goes no can do No can do Like oh man you masterful Delivery
0: (laughs) Fun fact that is uh, Mega covers that song Very frequently
2: You cover (laughs) Breathe (laughs)
0: that's why no one comes to our
2: shows
0: (laughs) with a hollow body we just hate somebody to like run around on stage with you know devil horns
2: and yeah you have a bunch of dancers in the group that's (laughs) where all our money goes so i i a couple of things about this song that like i think are, are okay that like what i don't know what like mode or whatever it is but that's sort of like that includes the minor third from the root and then the major seven where it's like you know it's like a you're like a half step down from the root but you're also like a minor third up from the root feel like that was clearly the entire genesis of the song like he just played that on the keyboard and he's like whoa we need to turn that into f- over five in a minutes five minutes song of... <laughs> okay. it's that's a cool like, riff though
0: like i, I, I cool do think riff. it's cool but like yeah there's you know i i don't you
2: know, they they got a lot of mileage out of it put it that way they absolutely did like i and i, I think that that it's memorable it's cool it's a 90 second idea that's a five minute song but like you know, I feel like that's all of this genre of music. Well,
0: here's the thing, though. Here's what I'll say about that. Like, yes, I I agree with that. A lot of it is there's a lot of like monotony and a lot of just uh, redundancy or repetitiveness, I guess. Um, but you know, be like being in a band where we have definitely taken riffs and turned them into long songs. in in a little bit of a like, you know, I'll say some of it's like pretentious. I, I can kind of relate to that part of it, where I do think you can anchor a song with a good riff if you have enough space and you have enough, like, mode shifting. But I don't think they did that, like, consistently on the album. I do think, like, on that song, like, I can live with that as being, like, the backbone of the song, because I think it's a good riff. And, you know, so so I, I guess the point being, like, I'm sort of sympathetic to the idea that you can take a riff and and sort of, like... Not beat it into the ground, but uh, you know, milk, milk it for all it's worth.
2: So I, I like the, the super-throbbing bass of like, which is probably what blew up those speakers at him.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like I think that's cool. The one thing that I actually found to be the coolest part of the song. Is the the sword clashing sounds. Ah, uh, yeah. That made me think of the Wu Tang.
1: And I wish yeah. I was listening to the Wu Tang instead. That
2: was sampled. That was so, oh, no. okay. So really? that, was sampled. that was sampled from The Mystery of Chess Boxing. Oh,
1: that's one of the um, best Wu-Tang songs.
2: Which is also a sample from, right, from the some five punk- deadly venoms. This is a sample within Looks a sample shit, Oh shit. Dude, yeah. We're through the looking class here, people. Right.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Why didn't they just go back to the DVD? I
2: think the fact that they're like, they sampled a song that had, they sampled a sample from another song. Like, you couldn't just go back to what the source was for that sample and get that yourself.
1: Wait, now that I'm remembering, a bit
2: lame there's
1: another story like this on this record, right? I, I can't, now I realize I didn't write it down, but I read about it in some interview where they sampled a band and then the band got mad at them and said, you can't sample our song. And they're like, well, we actually, we know you sampled it and did never paid the first guy and they shut up about it. <laughs> yeah.
3: <Yo, laughs> Just extortion. That's awesome. Go lawyers.
2: <laughs> yeah i don't think anything about this is awesome i'm just, like nothing about this is awesome <laughs> all right listen the other thing is that like all right maxim it was like there's like two vocalists and like for lack of a better way to describe them because you all seen the music video there's a white guy and a black guy there's the white guy who was keith flint and there was a black guy who was maxim and maxim is the guy who is doing the sort of a. Uh, inhale inhale you're th- he's unintelligible and adam you pointed out that like you thought yeah. he was saying something different and like you had one job <laughs> like that's your only contribution to this and i can't understand what you're saying it's not that hard <laughs> Is that the same thing Honestly. that they recorded? The complain <laughs> my game.
0: Oh like that yeah. was I had my uh Adam moment <clears throat> with um make my withdrawal with that the like complain like for all of like virtues I think you know not that I think it's a great song, but it's in my mind it's definitely the best song on the album. And I thought it actually resembled like a real song. That part is just so like cringy to me. Yeah. <laughs> It's just I like, I know you're British.
2: Like, we're approaching music in this song. Like, it's getting it's getting in the realm of music. <laughs> we're doing it, fellas. That's like, it really almost out. just
0: had that, like, sloppy sex pistols kind of just like, bleh. Like, I don't
2: know. I just couldn't. It was, it was a, no. This
1: guy definitely wishes he was Johnny Rotten. There's a strong Dude, Johnny watched, Rotten thing here.
2: I watched all of the music videos for this. And, like, I... Was laughing out loud. terrified. <laughs> no, the entire time I was laughing out loud. I was just like, it, "Like, how does this ever read as like authentically like cool or like? Who is the audience for this? Like, this is like you're like a walking hot topic store. This is so pathetic." Right. And Rob, you <laughs> mentioned like, "Oh, I have clothespins in my in my you know, on my leather jacket." In the music video for Breathe, the guy Keith Flint has a clothespin as uh, nose ring. Course. It's so you You're so, so punk, so bro. Pathetic.
1: You're so punk, dude. Can we mention too? I read that uh he went and worked on a when he was younger, he went and worked on a kibbutz in Israel. So punk rock, bro. <laughs> 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 Sorry, rest oh, in power. Rest, in power, rest Sorry. in
2: power, Keith. Yeah, because we should we should mention that he hung himself in 2019. Which oh is super man,
3: shitty. that is terrible! And like, uh, listen,
2: Keith Flint, your music sucks. Nobody <laughs> deserves that. I'm I'm really sad that he got to that point. I still am about to make fun of him for something, <laughs> um, which is that like I saw. So you know, you're familiar with the the look that he had with the devil horn, um, you know, like spiked up hairstyle. If you go to their Wikipedia page, it's a picture of them performing in 2015, and he has that same hairstyle. Oh, He's yeah. still rocking the devil if horn it, hairstyle. If it works,
1: why why mess with it? Can you imagine going to a, the Prodigy show and not seeing that hairstyle? would be like, I want my money back right now. I demand recompense.
2: <laughs> yeah, you don't bite the
1: hand that feeds you. Come on, man.
2: <laughs> I'd be doing some kind of like, uh, you know, Brian Cranston and Walter White thing where I have like a prosthetic that I put on every time because I don't have to walk around like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was I felt a little bad for him when I saw that. But uh yeah, it like listen, it's terrible that he uh that he killed himself. Um and uh you know, it doesn't mean their music doesn't suck. Speaking of songs that suck, and also speaking of a callback to last week, let's go on to funky shit. Oh my god, that's the funky shit! <laughs> cool sample let's grab from the beastie boys i think that's uh is that uh root down and those ad rock saying oh my god that's the funky shit that's mike d saying oh my god that's the funky shit so yeah they they grabbed the sample from root down and they turned it into a song and like that would have been cool to throw in one time in a song and not have it be the entire song this is the one that i was like oh it's like mortal kombat like not the new Mortal Kombat even It's like the Mortal Kombat movie from like 1997 Mortal Kombat da, 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 da. It's like that kind of music This shit is terrible Terrible
3: You could just take Smack My Bitch Up And put it on top of Funky Shit And I'm pretty sure they would be English, Indistinguishable from each other Oh, <laughs> I,
1: It's the same that'd be tempo a fun experiment, Let's uh, just put all the national. songs together Oh my god <laughs> yeah. that's awesome I dare you to listen to that We should <laughs>
2: How much, I mean, how much more offensive could it be? (laughs) There's so so few lyrics.
3: I'm sure the lyrics wouldn't hit on each other because there's so few of them.
2: (laughs) So I I was not even aware that this was a thing, but apparently there was a television show called SWAT in the seventies that was like, you know, uh, they were, it was like trying to like coast off of the success of Charlie's Angels and that's where like that horn sample comes from is like yeah right yeah which is the best part again
1: yeah that's the best part of the song
2: yeah I can't get over this it's the same thing we said with Kala and it's it also, you know, we very rarely said this about Paul's Boutique, but, like, when the one sample is the absolute best part of the song, and I feel like everything else just takes away from it, like, that, to me, describes a terrible song. Or, like, not even really a song.
1: Yeah. I think the most charitable read on some of this stuff is that they could have been, they were trying to achieve some kind of cinematic song stuff and maybe that's why they pulled from some of that that material that Laila Schifrin type material or I don't know if he's the actual composer on that but right I, I almost could convince myself that it was in that vein of, of cinematic score music that made me feel cool walking around but this this is just so repetitive and
0: bad is this one that had sort of like a Night Rider kind of feel like almost like a I don't know yes yeah yeah
2: yeah so this song is like it's actually more in line with their previous albums um where they were li- they were much more sort of synth heavy and they were less like this kind of like punk extravaganza woo are you scared yet type of type of vibe and so I don't think it works on this song I don't think it worked on their previous stuff but like I can see the the more of a through line from their previous stuff to this
0: yeah, it was uh, it was bad. It, it it was not funky, but it was very
1: much. It shit. was not. It was That's not a funky. really good. Point. Yeah, <laughs> stop telling me something. It's telling me what to feel song.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you're gonna say you're I'll funk. Like, you better deliver. Like you better be like P funk. Being like, <laughs> like, we're just gonna say funk yeah. repeatedly through this song, and we are gonna hit you over the head with but, funk. There was no funk at was all. Usually like... talking
1: about how they want to bring funk to them, even. They're, exactly. not even, they're not claiming to be funky. <laughs>
2: When they say we want the funk, at least there is a delivery at that at some point. They're like, <laughs> "We want the funk." You know what? If you're not going to bring it to us, we're going to do it ourselves. You know?
1: Yeah, they're ordering you know, it. I'm going to
2: make my funk the p funk.
0: <laughs> right. They definitely had the shit part of that equation like dialed in though. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like this song was one of one of the examples of like, and Tom, we we may have been talking about this the other night actually, where like, you know, there are times where like, I'll get high and just. Play around with like, you know, synth sounds. And like, after like 20 minutes, I'm like, this actually sounds all right. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's not, but like, you can Release convince it. yourself over <laughs> time. Release it. print like, it.
1: world tour. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. But like, you, in your mind, like, if you, if you mess with something long enough, like, you can make it sound all right. And that's like the first thing that ran through my mind when I listened to that song was just like, You know, and and I I don't want to diminish this like genre, you know, I, you know, there may be people that think this is a great song, people who are like in the know, but it just felt to me like you just got high and pushed a couple buttons and really that's, that's all you did.
2: You know, this goes back to a comment that Phil had made on the Eric Clapton 461 Ocean Boulevard uh, review, which is unearned confidence and like you're absolutely right that it's just like completely unearned confidence of like hey man i got the sequence where this goes dinner 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 i could just do that for like five minutes and every once in a i'll be like Boo. <laughs> yeah, <that's cool>. <laughs> 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 well and maybe at the
0: time that what well, i don't know like maybe that was cool like i i don't know but unearned i like that that's a good one
1: <laughs> it's a real problem
2: <laughs> it is a real problem Let, all right, let's move on to like just which I think is the epitome of everything we've been talking about this is for me the low light of the album unearned confidence like oh been- look how hard I am and an idea that should not have made it past conception serial thriller.
1: hate most of this song, but I actually one comment I had on the positive side was that I like that you can hear the seam, so to speak, of the guitar sample. That makes it slightly better for me.
2: The guitar sample from that skunk Anans- Anansi song. Is that what it is? is? Jesus. Yeah. Which apparently came, By the way, listen to that song. It's fucking terrible.
3: It's so yeah, it's bad. very poorly produced. It sounds like a bunch of high school kids. And the video looks the same
2: it sounds like a bunch of high school kids i can't tell if the singer is a man or a woman and it doesn't matter because either way they suck like, it, it, whatever they're going for is terrible it's so terrible um and like my note on this is this is what 14 year olds think is hard like that's that's my take on this song he's like i feel like that you like sit look, it's like burgeoning school shooter stuff. We're like sitting in the back of the of the class, and you're like, oh my God. serial thriller, serious killer!" Whoa, <laughs> oh man!
3: My mom's Watch gonna out. hate this. Yeah. Turn it up real
1: loud.
2: Take that, for mom! You for funding my college. Right. <laughs> well, speaking H-S. of things
1: that speaking of things that moms hate, this like it begins and ends with this like phone off the hook, terrible Ooh. feedback sound. <laughs> yeah, that that makes up like a good minute of the song, probably. <laughs>
3: yeah that goes on pretty pretty long. It's from a it's an old sci fi movie some like aliens landed or something, and it was the sound of the spaceship, and they're like, Let's take that, but let's put it through all kinds of weird effects, so it's even worse than
2: the original listen i i I keep going back to the fact that they have two vocalists, two people whose entire job it is is to write and perform lyrics, and they're so bad like i mean to say like that they're so bad is like it's not even giving credit to how terrible it is i don't think that i could write something this bad damage destructor crowd disruptor you corruptor every timer yeah
3: damage destructor crowd destructor
2: mainliner every timer taste me taste me <laughs> succumb to me oh, I forgot so about
1: bad. that part that part's it's so bad, so bad. <laughs> that's pretty cringy yeah the taste me part was my cringe moment Oof.
2: And again, there was like a whole generation of people that took this seriously. I don't know. And like, are these just the kind of people that listen to dubstep now? Because I feel like dubstep is kid stuff. Like, it's, again, I, I found myself being like, are we just like super out of touch old men at this point? And the answer to that is most likely yes. But like, everything that I love about music points in the exact opposite direction of this. Right. I don't understand
0: how this is huge. The answer to your question is definitely yes. Like we, like well, I don't, I don't want to say we're like out of touch, but I mean, if you think about like the exercise we're doing here, which is like sort of doing a critical analysis of an album that really, like on its face, aside from any like context of it being like a bestseller and all that, like really has no business being sort of like parsed in this way. Um,
1: so, so or listened to by anyone. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, but so I, I just... give us credit that we can actually parse something that is this breadth of creative influence. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: yeah, for sure. But like, you know, I think back to some of the music that you know i had I had my like punk rock phase, and and you know, if 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 I go back and listen to it now, it's like you're just a bunch of like white kids with mohawks from Orange County who have problems with something you probably don't know what it is you're sort of a little bit angry and yeah it's definitely lame and cheesy but I mean there's definitely a uh you know like marketing towards that younger group of people I mean that's that's sort of like well-worn you know territory
2: yeah I mean kids are freaking idiots though basically <laughs> saying it's like damn whippersnappers sell them anything so like this Maybe one's called "Me dangerous. Fans" or a
3: bunch of stupid pigs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Slag off! That was cool. Uh,
3: okay.
2: Oh, yeah. Does anybody else have anything to say about <laughs> serial thriller? Um, I'm no, square.
1: No, I did not and, succumb.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's go on to what I think. I think this was the biggest song on the album. Again, listen, I listen. I apologize to all of you guys on this podcast. I apologize to everybody listening to this podcast. I had a real hard time focusing on doing the basic research for this because I just really hated this album so much. <laughs> I couldn't stand it so much. That's all right. Like,
3: We're all mailing this in this week. <laughs>
2: I don't think I need to have this much knowledge about the prodigy in the old noggin. It's, it's already gummed up with enough, you know, useless anxieties and everything. I don't need to hear about any more of this crap, but so I'm just going to go ahead and assume that this was the big hit from them because this is the one that I knew was a big hit from back in the day, Firestarter. Let's listen to just a little bit of Firestarter, And, you know, again, thinking of it in the context of like, this is like a pretty freaking lame British dude trying to tell you how dangerous he is. I'm a fire starter.
0: Twisted fire starter. You're the fire starter. Twisted fire starter.
3: Oh, that's
2: the question. trouble starter, pumpkin instigator. I'm game? the fear-addicted, <laughs> danger-illustrated. Yes, that's right, Rob. I'm cutting you off every time you try to talk with another weak-ass line from here.
1: <laughs> I think it speaks for itself. I'm the
2: fire starter, fire starter.
0: <laughs> I think if you have to tell somebody how
1: dangerous you are, you're probably not that. Right. Dangerous. Trust me, I'm really dangerous yeah. I, do we, do we know if these kids grew up affluent at all? That's just a guess, but this feels this feels like not poor kids' music.
2: you know it's funny. it does feel like not poor kids' music um and they grew up in braintree Essex um which is like a town in England um I don't know if it's you know super crappy or not um but like i, I guess I just feel like. British never reads ghetto to me, um, no matter oh. how ghetto it could possibly be. But no, like, there's plenty no, listen, of ghetto British. Yeah. I'm there's plenty of like chavs and whatnot. But like, even <laughs> uh, even the guys that are like in the oh yes, I'm sorry, I'm using some like totally balls sensitive language. <laughs> but like, even the guys that are like, I, I don't know, I feel like, right, when I when I grew we grew I grew Wilmington Delaware. Wilmington mm-hmm. Delaware is not a safe city. It's a total shithole. All right. When I moved out to I'm San Francisco, in Wilmington. I'm not going to. I know. Listen, you, I'm not going to uh, settle for this. You live in about as suburban Wilmington as is humanly possible. You got as far away from the city center as is humanly possible. Oh, as opposed anyway. to
1: say Richardson Park. <laughs> <laughs> the Main streets.
2: Uh, of to- <laughs> Richardson <laughs> Park is not great. Dude, <laughs> did, Deerhead uh, Hot Dogs was good hot, didn't hot dogs. One of your neighbors like uh, kill his family or something like that at some <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I just remember when I moved to San Francisco and I was like walking through the streets of like what was – like I was in the Western Edition and people were like, oh, this is like – this is a rough neighborhood. And I remember like walking through this neighborhood and being like, this is like the most affluent neighborhood (laughs) in Wilmington. This is not rough at all in any way, shape, or form. And I feel that same way about England. Like the parts of England are like, oh, that's pretty rough. I feel like I'd walk around there and be like, you guys are like so not rough and you think that you're totally rough. but you
1: know. I think I read that Keith Flint's dad was an architect. I'm going to assume that means they had a little bit of cash. So yeah, he's I not feel a day laborer. I, I validated my own my own story. Uh, one one anecdote I read in, in an article that I think that kind of sums up a lot of what we've been talking about. I think it was Liam Howlett said he was talking about people are asking him like re, trying to read into the music like oh what does it mean is it political is that the kind of punk? he's and he said something along the lines of. We like the dumb side of music only he was like we like I like Chuck D but not when he like talks about real shit like I just like <laughs> the dumb stuff that's what we like
2: yeah when he says fight the power I, I'm with you on the fight part but the power no no that's not cool uh, okay. we could fight about which soccer team is best or which football team is best um, I also feel like you know just in terms of like are you wealthy or not? if you need thousands of dollars worth of synth equipment to make your first album, you're probably doing pretty. All right. It's not like you bought a guitar from a pawn shop for $89 and an amp for 25 bucks from some dude on the street. And you're like, that's my band. Like, so yeah, that probably reads as like pretty well off. <sighs>
1: <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel too.
2: I'm the bitch you hated. <laughs> <Filth infatuated>. Yeah. <laughs> Here, so I'm, I'm, terrible. I'm going to show
3: you. I'm, I'm going to see if I can get my my notes. Uh, it's not going to show up on the computer here, but my, my note for track nine fire starter. Bullet. Oh, man. I want to punch him in the face. The vocals are terrible. <laughs> bullet number two. I'm so over this. And then no.
2: And yet yeah, there's still then, six and a half
3: minutes. <laughs> and then no more bullet points.
2: Yeah. God my game all this so, stuff is re- just so real terrible.
3: quick so i want to go back to like the, the whole the whole sample thing is, is there ever a point where you get your hands on a sample and you look at it and you say now i can't use that just because it's not a song or because we don't have to go into track eight? but i was just reading on the list of samples that were used there there was a sample from a cd called sampletronics distorted reality volume one and that it was called crying out dot wave as in it was just a wave file that they, like, got from, like, a bargain bin CD of, like, samples or just sound effects? Like, that you could get, I like, the, more. the Halloween sound effect and be like, oh, you know, Witch Screaming 3. All right, let me use that in there and chop that up. Do you lose cred?
2: <laughs> I respect that more than I do. Like, listen, like, they, they took... From a breeder song SOS, that's like the main like guitar. Like I respect it more if it's something that's like super obscure. Right. Um I don't know if you guys though so, uh like full disclosure, I had listened to this album maybe like two months ago, because I saw that it was on the list of like a thousand and one albums you had to hear before you die. And I was like this would be a good way to punish myself because I hate myself, and so, you know, I I make my life pleasurable. Um, (laughs) And it led me down the rabbit hole. I was listening to that Apex Twin song, Come to Daddy. You guys, I am sure remember that video with, like, the little kids with the weird, like, bearded face that are, like, running around. It's his face, isn't it?
1: Isn't that his face? It's, like,
2: I don't think it's his face because, like, his face shows, he's, like, a skinny pasty guy but like this just seemed like a lamer version of that song come to daddy where it's like that again it's like a video package so like you you have to experience it the song and the video together but like that song's genuinely creepy and that video is like maybe one of the best videos that was ever made is uber creepy you guys should totally check that out but it, it has this like you know Uh, part where he's just sort of like going, come to daddy, come to daddy. And it's like really creepy. But then you actually see the guy and in like a well-lit room and you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're the guy who's like trying to freak me out. And I feel like it's the same thing with these guys. Where like if you're in a sewer, if you're in a sewer and you're running around and being like, Look how crazy I am. You're like, Oh, that looks kind of cool. But if you see this guy at, you know, at a safeway trying to buy avocados or something, you're just gonna be like, What the hell is wrong with you, dude? You're like the lamest person I've ever seen in my entire life. And I feel like that just like describes the entirety of this genre, is like it works. When there's a strobe light going on and there's smoke and there's like you know and i want a bunch of drugs at that point i'm like whoa this is crazy but if i'm just like looking at you in an office building and you're like working at the cubicle next to me i'm like what the hell is wrong with you man like why are you like this (laughs) (laughs) safe way
0: they've good avocados
3: quality produce
0: very ripe
1: Cool. Yeah. can we stop listening to this now oh,
2: Good lord, yes can we be done and listen i i've been held in some serious suspense i want to know i want to know does this album make the list it is decision time everybody can we get an up or down vote adam i want to hear from you first does this album make the list
3: Despite the fact that Q Magazine readers voted Fat of the Land the ninth greatest album of all time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> People apparently who read Q Magazine can read. I'm surprised by this. <laughs> <laughs> Is Q Magazine like highlights or something right. like that? Is this Q from Deep Space Nine? Like, what, are we, what are we doing here? It might X-Gen. be. Please, it, uh, it, oh, please. Yeah, seriously, come on. It Come might on. be
3: a, a dedicated uh, electronic dance music publication. Uh, I'm sorry, this is not going to make it onto the the list. I, I feel like I've I've listened to it four or five times, and I'll never get that four or five hours back of my life <laughs> 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 because it's an hour long.
2: It's definitely Uh, CD-era length. Yes, yes. it's not vinyl-era length. They're not worried about what side one and side two. They're just like, how about we just continually fuck your ears the entire time?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Alan, send it over to you. No, so, look, I mean, I know, you know, we spent, like, an hour and a half kind of shitting on this record, (laughs) frankly, so there's a part of me that thinks yes, only because I will confess, like, I don't know this genre, and people who do think that this belongs on there like like this is considered like a uh you know forerunner for a lot of similar music that came after um however do i think someone needs to listen to this before they die i do not so if if that's the criteria then it's just a it's just a no rob what do you think
1: yeah it's a big fat no for me it just feels Uber immature and not edgy at all. And I've never understood that. I've never thought that was cool, even when I was an angsty preteen or whatever, whoever they're aiming at here. And so yeah, you don't need to listen to this. You shouldn't listen to this unless you're in some kind of Gitmo rendition situation, maybe. But no.
2: Listen, uh, this album sucks. Um, I, I really, I hated every second of listening to this album. I really, I, I cannot describe to you how annoyed I was at the fact that I had to listen to this album so many times. And this comes down to one of those, like, uh, everyone is stupid except for me type of things. Like, I have to put it on the list because I feel like if you were to look at the music that I like, And the ripple effect of the music that I like that had on like where music is now. I feel like an album like this had a much greater impact than like the than like Siamese Dream, which I loved. Or like OK Computer, which I loved. Like okay, I wish that more stuff nowadays sounded like OK Computer that was like super popular, but it doesn't. It sounds like this. It sounds like this freaking garbage. And so I have to put it on the list because like. 10, 15 years from now, like the stuff that I love is going to be an afterthought to the garbage that took this concept and made it, I guess, better. I don't necessarily think better, but like I could say that like if you were a person who was into this, it refined that concept more. But yeah, it's on the list. Begrudgingly, I will never listen to it again, and I will never listen to the type of music that it spawned willingly ever but uh i have to say that it's like in terms of the out in terms of like the uh the influence that it had i feel like it actually had a pretty big influence this album was huge it went double platinum in six months and beastie boys paul's boutique, paul's boutique went platinum in 10 years so like i mean i can't say anything besides that it's a shame but yeah it belongs all right But that's, you know, the verdict. I will take the lone begrudging yes vote, and we will say The Prodigy. prodigy. Y'all are off the list. I am sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Your album sucked. You're not on the list. Freeing up space on that list for all these other great notable snubs.
3: Maximum or Maxim Reality is going to be very upset when he hears this. By the way, there's a Maxim Realty. Outside of Philadelphia, and that's all I can think of when I saw his name. I was like, oh shit, that dude. Wait, reality? Real? uh,
2: That would be a pretty awesome move if that was actually him. And he just moved outside of Philly and started a real estate.
0: You have to diversify, man. You get multiple income streams. Smart dude. You know,
2: you like walk into the house and like you open the door and it's like, don't, don't, don't. And he's like, hey. you with me <laughs> yeah. check uh, out the sewer, check the bathroom. The sewer. <laughs> look at that splashback it's awesome
1: i did read like a little piece of an interview with him i think it was for keith flint's you know recent death it's like a retrospective the closet, <laughs> and uh and i got this little undercurrent i'm not sure if i was inventing it or not where he was just like he thought of he, he didn't see his life going this way where he was just like i i kind of thought of myself as a real mc who was gonna write like socially conscious lyrics and not just insert yeah random uh he sporadic outbursts it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: did he have like an allotment of like we can only have lyrics over like 14 percent of this song so like you really have to trim down that
1: i do wonder if liam hallett was pulling those strings behind because one thing we didn't maybe mention sorry i know we're done with this is that rave culture doesn't doesn't tolerate a frontman, right? Like, I think in their in people's minds, when they're dancing at a club, doesn't that just get in the way of their vibe? Well, and lyrics too. Like, no one's really paying attention. You know, you don't need some. Yeah,
0: you know, I don't. I don't think they're there for like re- deep, reflective. Uh... You know, music. No,
2: but what it comes down to is like every dancer in the audience is trying to be the center of attention. That's why those guys have the glow sticks and they're all like, look at how great I'm dancing right now. Like everybody is trying to be the center of attention at a rave show. and It is not focused on the guy on stage. It's focused on the dude dancing next to you. Is he dancing better than you are? I say this having never gone to a rave. <laughs> I assume but with all the Rachel confidence really like. unearned confidence. confidence of saying these guys are goddamn douchebags <laughs> so anyway let's talk about what are we going to examine next week oh yeah we gotta figure it out we're, we're trying to refine this list we're trying to get it down to just the, the essence of it so I have the Albinator 5,000. I brought it with me all the way to the East Coast. I I had to check it. It was, it. it was like in the odd-sized baggage claim. It was, it was a pain. Um, so I have it out back. I've been cranking it all day. It's ready to go. Next week, we will be examining. Drum roll, please. Ah, Fiona Apple's title. Interestingly, she also samples a bunch of Wu Tang on that
3: album. <laughs> Dude, I was in love with Fiona Apple. This is this oh is a God, this man. is a throwback, just... man. This is great.
2: What, were you, what are you put particularly throwing back there, Adam?
3: <laughs> <laughs> some solid music, some solid gold
2: tracks. This was uh, this was one of those albums that as a young musician made me think that it was possible that I could become famous. Cause she was like 16 when she wrote a bunch of these songs and she's very, very young when this came out. So like, as a young listener, I was like, Oh, that's just going to be me. Like <laughs> clearly what I'm writing is just, you know, <laughs> on the same level. And I am, you know, not only am I uh, you know, as musically talented, but I'm also clearly as physically attractive and marketable <laughs> as an So I'm just going to be famous.
0: <laughs> well, you did definitely have the gauntish uh, look that, that she pioneered. <laughs> yeah. So
2: she also probably never eats breakfast. You know, it's a uh, it's it's a look you got going on. That was <laughs> no, like heroin chic. It was like peak heroin chic face. Uh, so yeah, Fiona Apple's title, everybody. Listen to that album for next week. Again, you cannot appreciate this if you have not listened to the album before we uh, before the podcast. We've referenced a bunch of songs. We've referenced a bunch of stuff on this podcast. We have a playlist that we put together of all the stuff that we referenced. It's in the notes. Check it out. Go listen to that stuff. It will give you a greater appreciation of this garbage album that we listened to this week <laughs> oftentimes the samples and the other stuff that we talk about is more interesting are than better the, than the, uh, the, yeah. the album yeah and even if it's not more interesting it definitely augments the experience do you think that we got it right do you think that we got it wrong are you a person who grew up in i don't know surrey and was like going to the clubs <laughs> and it's just all about yeah exactly you're, you're like super into uh the British club scene, hmm. and you want to tell us why we're wrong? I would love to hear why we're wrong.
0: You oh, are so. our target audience, by the way. Yeah. If you live in any of these areas,
1: I'm sure the MBA fueled holes in your brain won't allow you to craft an email, but <laughs> <laughs> give it a shot anyway.
2: You know we can we can decipher it. We're we're tea leaf readers. Uh, one thousand and one album complaints at Gmail. Write us a message, and uh, you know pack the vitriol in there for everything you think we did wrong. Pack the praise in there for everything we did right. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Again, we're critics. We can take criticism. We want to hear it. We're trying to get better. We're hoping that you're being along for that journey. Uh, and we want to uh, make this as enjoyable for our listeners as possible. And until next time, I have been Tom. Is it me? <laughs> I just... Uh, I don't even know. We talked about this, guys. I, it's Rob. Did we? Oh, What's Rob? Did I miss that part? We talked about it like three weeks ago.
1: Come on. <laughs> uh, well, no, no. We said it was gonna be alphabetical, but we've we've totally fucked it up all episode. That's the problem. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I can never. am
2: alphabetically alphabetical last. Alphabetical by first name or last name. <laughs> alphabetical by first name okay All right yeah let's go to alan so anyway let's give this one another and seriously wait, do wait. not cut this out in post i want to hear this I want to, you got to hear this shambolic like ass fuckery that is our approach to begin this podcast
0: oh if anyone's still listening at this point then you know they're in it adam,
2: adam has the cheat sheet <laughs> the cheat sheet he goes rob tom alan adam okay so apparently alan you were supposed to hop on that so anyway i've been tom who's the next idiot here? Me, Alan. Really, people pay attention to what we say. We really have a lot to offer. (laughs) I'm
1: Adam. And I'm
2: Rob. Boosh.